0: everyone, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of cycling-related books, writer of all kinds of fitness and outdoor content, and doer of all kinds of fitness and outdoor things.
1: And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host here, and I am a kinesiologist and professional cycling coach.
0: All right, so who do we have up today? This is a really exciting episode because we had to, I admit, record it a couple of different times to try to perfect it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think this means we've made it in podcast stardom because we've had a technical difficulty and had to record, so...
0: Yeah, that's that's a, like, rite of passage, right? I think so. I
1: was only so upset because uh, Jacques is actually a really interesting, really smart uh, guy. He's very experienced in both the strength training and the cycling world, so a very unique sort of combo, and he's put together this amazing program, this amazing book, uh, that I think is really going to be interesting for a lot of folks who are coming into sort of the off-season, the fall season and looking for, you know, oh, this is the year I'm going to start strength training, you know, the science is there, the, you know, you're hearing maybe your friends are starting to strength train, you're hearing some of the pros are strength training, um, you know, cycling's really behind in that respect. So Jacques uh, and his co-author Roy Wallach have put together this this book and program called Maximum Overload for Cyclists. It's pretty easy, they've, they've really focused on sort of the common hurdles of you know, not having the equipment, you know, oh, I don't have the perfect piece of gear, or the perfect space, you know, they've made this so that you can certainly do this at home or you can do it in a full, like, world-class gym.
0: Yeah, and I think the cool thing is we've gotten to be able to take away a lot of stuff from the book and from the podcast and sort of put that into a lot of our day-to-day shorter workouts, uh, a lot of walking lunges. You're probably going to hear the word walking lunge or the two words walking lunge a lot throughout this episode, but for good reason holy crap, they, they hurt. You're sore the next day, but in like a really good way.
1: Yeah, I definitely you want to ease into it, right? And the program lays out sort of how you ease into that. Molly likes to jump into things. I'm not good at easing gas, into things. So, um, but yeah, it, it's a really good program. It lays out the sort of whole strength thing. And then also the walking lunges, which is sort of the, the big thing. They've done their big twist on, on how they think that we're going to transfer this on, onto the bike. Um, and into sort of sustainable power.
0: Yeah, and so the other exciting thing is that Rodale, the people who published this awesome book, are actually going to give out a copy to one of our listeners. So if you are interested after you listen to this episode, if you head over and like our Facebook page, uh, you can find the link on consummateathlete.com or just search consummateathlete Athlete Podcast over on Facebook. Like it and then like the post for this episode, and we'll do a kind of random draw for that. So pretty simple. Um, and, yeah, you'll definitely want to get your hands on this book, whether you win it or not. It's kind of become one of our favorites. I know Peter's used it in a lot of coaching, and I've actually really enjoyed reading it myself. Used it for some beach reading. Uh, we were just in Virginia, did a lot of beach running, and Peter got some riding in, and
1: I also tried to be Ryan Atkins, who you may remember from an earlier podcast, and do some warrior-monkey-man dash uh, monkey man type... He's,
0: he's now bruised up and can't really move super well, so you can guess how well that went, but we're getting there.
1: Yeah, I mean, my muscle-ups were, were going okay. And, hey, and I got my, all my the My rib, ribs aren't supposed to be involved in the muscle-up, and I attempted that, so...
0: And I got across the monkey bars, so I was pretty stoked. I can still do pull-ups, and that was exciting. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the lesson here is progress slowly. Yeah. You're, you're not a superstar right off the bat, but you'll get there.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I hope you enjoy this. This is sort of just Jacques and I talking is how we ended up doing this one. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really enjoyable talk. So I think you guys will really like this one.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Enjoy this chat with Jacques Devore.
1: All right, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm really excited we have Jacques DeVore back on the show. We had some technical difficulties, but what that means is we can, I get to talk to Jacques again, so I'm really excited. And the the bonus is that I used a lot of the program we're gonna talk about today, the Maximum Overload Strength for Cyclists program, that's in Jacques' new book. Um, He and his co-author, Roy Walwick, have written this book, and it's it's specifically designed for cyclists. So we're gonna get into the meat of the program, why it works, who he's used it with, Um, and really get you sort of interested in this. And I think this is a great solution for for cyclists who are looking for maybe, you know, what to do and and a program for the winter. You know, we're coming into that. I don't want to admit it yet, but we are coming into that off-season. So I'm really excited to get to talk to Jacques again. Jacques, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So Jacques has a great background. You know, he's he started in strength training. You know, a lot of young guys, especially young guys from California, are, are doing a lot of strength training in their high school age, and then he got into wrestling. Um, and I think the interesting bit is he combines and is one of the few people who also then have an an extensive strength training background that he's then putting together into, you know, uh, a strength uh, training sort of strength coaching, uh, and now into this book. Um, so what I was wondering, John, ja, can you just sort of give us sort of what that looks like? You know, you're wrestling and you're lifting weights with your brother in the garage. You know, how do you end up mountain biking then In sort of the heyday of mountain biking?
2: Yeah, uh, I think that, uh, well, I went to Davis, first of all. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know UC Davis, it's, uh, there's no cars on campus, only bicycles. So it was a wonderful place to kind of get caught up in a bicycle. And I mean, we would go to the pub on on a bicycle. Everything was on a bike. It was wonderful. Uh, so bicycle really for four years in college was just, uh, exciting. And then I had some knee problems from wrestling. And, uh, then all of a sudden I said, Hey, listen, maybe I'll pick the bike up again. And I started mountain biking and then, you know, uh, wanted to get faster. So I started hanging out with some guys. I ran into some guys that, you know, had this group ride on Tuesday and Thursday evenings and we did it religiously for like, you know, three years and then they were racing. And, uh, so finally I said, okay, I'll go along to one of these races up in big bear. And next thing I know, you know, uh, I was, uh, racing as an expert on the mountain bike and then moved over to the road and raced on the road, became a, uh, an expert cycling coach. Uh, and then all uh, during this period in time, uh, I was in the gym a lot because of my wrestling background, i had always, you know, been a big weightlifter. And I never understood why cyclists didn't lift more. And so I started looking into how do I improve my own cycling through the gym. And a lot of it was based on my time. You know, cycling is like golf, you know, you can have cycling widows, I guess, where, like, you know, every weekend, you know, you go out, and you're gone for four or five hours, you know, on a bike ride. So I wanted to figure out how could I pack it into less time and still get improvements and i i look to the weight room to do that so that's how it kind of brought me to the book
1: that's great yeah and i i'm i'm always amazed that we don't draw more from strength training you know it's, it's been around for so long and there's a lot of studies because it's a little more controlled and you know i'm always banging my head against the wall with cycling training and cycling coaching and programs that we don't you know, you do three by ten one week in the gym, and then you increase the weight or you increase the reps or, you know, something like that. You increase the, the challenge. But in cycling, it seems like that isn't nearly as common. You know, we don't think about that. And as you say, strength training, you know, is a little more accepted now, but still with most cyclists, no, not even on the radar. Why do you think Why do you think it's, we're, we're so hesitant to, to lift weights as cyclists?
2: Uh, a, a number of reasons. I mean, the first is primarily people are, if you look at the United States, the strength and conditioning started from a bodybuilder's perspective. You know, most people, when you think about weightlifting in the U.S., it wasn't like the Eastern Bloc where, you know, they were doing a lot of weightlifting back in the 60s and Olympic lifting and powerlifting. If you remember all those old Olympics, it was always the Eastern Bloc guys with some, you know, Villa Alexia, you know, from the Soviet Union, you know, the best Olympic lifters because they were doing uh, lifting as a competition. Uh, In the US, it was uh, bodybuilding as a competition. So a lot of people equated weightlifting with putting on big, huge amounts of muscle. And I think that scared a lot of cyclists. Uh, And so, you know, there's different ways that strength comes. Uh, And so the other, I think, big issue and problem is, is a lot of people will say, that uh, strength is not the limiting factor for cyclists. It's cardio. Uh, but I look at it differently. I, 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 I look at it as it's not cardio. It's all of these things combined to produce the most amount of power, the longest. And if you think about cycling, they don't call a power meter a strength meter. They call it a power meter. Now, I did a lecture here uh, to about 30 cyclists uh, about a couple of months ago. They're all racers. They were from a, a local coaching organization here. And uh, I asked them, how many of you have power meters? And about half the room raised their hands. And I said, okay, so when you see 300 watts on your power meter, how is that calculated? Does anyone know? Nobody. Nobody knew what are the components that go into coming up with that wattage on the power meter. They knew that higher was better, but the physics are force times distance divided by time or force times velocity. And in the case of a bicycle, it's torque on the crank arm and then the speed of it. And you do it naturally as a cyclist. If you're riding over your head with a group of guys or girls that you're riding with and you're trying to keep up, what are you doing? You're always looking for a gear. You say, okay, well, let me try the smaller gear and I'll spin more, see if I can keep up. Let me try a bigger gear. You're looking for power. That's what you're doing. When you put the gear into a bigger gear, you're saying, if I produce more force, can I get the wattage up? Oh no, that's not working. I'm getting too tired. My legs won't hold it. And then you say, okay, let me try the smaller gear. And then you're spinning out and you're going, oh my God, I'm breathing like crazy. I can't hold that. And so you you hear and when you're the stronger person, you hear the person behind you clicking the gears, trying to find the right gear. And you know they're in trouble when they're starting to search from gear to gear to gear. And then if you want to drop somebody, you know now's the time to do it. Uh, so we're always looking for power, but we may not know it uh, on the bike. And I think that that's what I tried to address in the book is, you know, you can only go so far if you've been racing or riding consistently you know, in, in more of a, uh, you know, regular fashion. After about five years, on a season-by-season basis, you may be able to, you know, from detraining, uh, bump your VO2 max by, you know, 5%, 10% into the season. And then you say, okay, maybe my ability to utilize oxygen, the other side of the coin, improve some by, you know, building a, a better, uh, uh, a more efficient engine over time. But at some point you say, where do I get more gains? And that's what I really wanted to address in the book. I said, guys, you're looking in the wrong area. How many more hours are you going to ride? And You're not getting any faster. You know, oh, well, you're going to ride more hours. Uh, Well, no, because you're also fighting the amortization schedule that is age. You know, every year, you know, you get a little slower as you get, you know, past about, you know, 25, 30 years old. That's why in the tour." You know, these, you know, like uh, you look at some of the older cyclists in the tour, they're young men by any other standards, but they're 35 years old. And everyone's like, oh, my God, they're so old. You know, they're done. So it's hard. Uh, So that's what the book is trying to address. How can you improve power uh, in the gym, take less time? And then the ultimate uh, thing is improve your rides. So you're gonna get bigger overloads on the bike by improving power in the gym. So then that's the ultimate uh, icing on the cake.
0: Hey everybody, we're back and it is donor drive time. We did this last August. This is our second year with the Wide Angle Podium Network. So it's time to help the network keep growing.
1: Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, tough reaching out, but uh, that's the nature of a lot of the media these days is it's sort of, you know, supported by the listeners, you know, rather than just paying for a cable package or something like that, you know, you're putting money towards shows that you're listening. So hopefully you've checked out uh, all that Wide Angle Podium has to offer. It's a lot of cycling content, but they're solely branching out. And obviously we are leading that charge as far as branching into multi-sports and um, you know, different, different concepts around movement. So, you know, if you haven't checked out wideanglepodium.com, you can go over there and you can look into some of the shows. You can also search Wide Angle Podium on, uh, iTunes, which is how I usually find all the shows and sort of see what's new. Um, so you can just do a search and all of them pop up and all the latest episodes are sort of there in order, um, or all just the most recently updated podcasts. So you can definitely. Check that out on iTunes, or go over to WideAnglePodium.com, and you can look into all the show info, and you know, figure out you know, do you like there's a mechanic-centered show? There's the Slow Ride podcast. There's cyclocross hairs or CX hairs, um, and the CX hairs has been on fire. They do a fantastic job. The audio quality is fantastic, and we're we're trying to steal as much info from them as we can. Uh, but they've had a couple good shows. They had uh, Ryan Trabon on talking about. Uh, the new sort of format of the the series the new series professional series for cyclocross this fall in the in the u.s Uh, they've also had who else have they had on they've had a lot of mountain bike coverage so if you're into mountain bikes that's been really interesting seeing them cover some of the the mountain bike stuff
0: i wish that was a separate channel called xc hairs personally but that's fine
1: yeah you might have missed a chance but maybe that's in the plan maybe you're spoiling that so
0: yeah i have been doing that lately Uh, Anyway, We Got to Hang Out is also another one of my favorites run by two rad women out of Portland. We actually had them on a show back in May. So if you want to hear what they're all about, you could always check that out before committing to a new podcast. I know how scary that can be. Um, Anyway, tons of awesome stuff over at Wide Angle Podium. And if you do become a donor because you want to support shows like ours and our show in particular... That would be amazing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the stat, but donations do earn you a minimum of 50 watts uh, in happiness watts, which I believe are the most important of the watts. Wouldn't you agree as a cycling coach?
1: Yeah, definitely need to be happy.
0: There we go. Uh, You also get a bunch of really cool bonus content. There's a bunch of rad stuff that you get as a donor. So, you know, some content, some stickers, some water bottles, all that fun stuff. And all of your donations just go towards helping... Wide Angle Podium keep the keep the lights on, so to speak. They use a ton of resources for... Yeah,
1: things like hosting, things like our mics even. You know, we've been able to really update the mics we do have and there's obviously room to grow and we appreciate all your, your listener feedback on that.
0: You could be buying us the new mixer so Peter's voice will stop annoying you. Yeah, yeah, keep those levels. Yeah, keep the levels good. Anyway, uh, you can help out by going to wideanglepodium.com slash donate. Again, wideanglepodium.com slash donate. And the donor drive is going on through August. So, you know, please spread the word and get involved. And we are so thankful that you guys listen. We're so thankful to those who already have donated. And we're so thankful to those who are even considering donating now. So again, thanks. And let's get back to the show.
1: I really like that. I mean, I I definitely take a limiter-based approach when I'm looking at athletes, you know, what is our our biggest limiter. And so often it is, you know, some sort of strength or movement deficit that is, you know, holding people back. And and that might be very well, you know, back pain or or some sort of thing, you know, based around that as much as it, you know, an obvious, you know, what is the limiting factor in in a, a cycling performance or power, as you say. You know, everyone wants that CP20 to go up.
2: Well, Yeah, and that's what you're doing. You're indirectly looking at a biomechanical issue and saying it's impacting my ability to produce power. And the easiest way to see that is uh, I made a reference to Mark Cavendish in the book, and I said I could beat him in a sprint every single time as long as he took his hands off the handlebars. Uh, Now, it's an extreme example of the kinetic chain. If Cavendish's wrist is injured in a sprint, he's not gonna produce as much power because he can't pull as hard. If it's an elbow, that's a problem. If it's his shoulder that's bothering him from a crash, if it's his hip, if it's his knee, if it's his ankle, if it's the dorsiflexion in his his leg, all of those things are mobility issues that impact power. So that's why in the book, we go through the self-assessment, we go through the mobility drills, we do everything else because what you just said, When you're looking for that limiter with your clients, you're saying, hey, how can I find a tipping point? Maybe I can get more uh, mobility in somebody's hips and automatically you see an improvement in power.
1: Yeah, I mean exactly, and it's that's that sort of gets missed, right, as you know, everyone wants to know, will my power go up, but there, you know, as you say, the indirect, there's the direct, you know, yes, like power is part of that, you know, the strength component, how hard you can push down, but there's also, can you even push down, right, like can you get on your bike today or, exactly. are you, or are you have back pain or you fell over and your shoulders got injured or, uh,
2: you know, something like that. And I call it hidden fitness. I mean, it's fitness that's already there. You just can't get to it. It's hidden because your hips bother you, or you don't have the mobility in your knee, or you got poor T spine mobility, or you have all of these things that are are limiting, as you said, your ability to tap into everything that you really have. And uh, and in the book, that's what we're trying to do with the uh, the long durations. Uh, we're try the long duration walking lunges is we're trying to allow someone to tap in to motor unit recruitment that's already there and do it for long stretches of time so you actually become more efficient at producing power in the long run it's really a matter of efficiency where your body adapts by saying you're asking me to produce maximum output on every one of these lunges uh and you're asking me to do it for long stretches of time what happens the body says okay this is a new overload. How am I going to adapt? You want me to keep producing max output, then uh, I'm going to make an adaptation by recruiting more muscle fiber so you can do that and making you more efficient, so that you can continue to produce that power multiple times. And uh, and in the in the cycling parlance, we call it you know using up matches. You know you'll hear people say, "I burned too many matches. I didn't have anything left." Uh, you're the way you win a bike race is conservation of not energy, not expenditure of energy.
1: I, I think so, for sure. I mean, in mountain biking, we have laps, right, and so you can definitely see it. It's not necessarily the first lap, you know, there's a lot of people that can go with the pace on the first lap. You might have 10 guys or sure. 10, 10 girls there on the first lap, but by the the last lap, the speed's the exact same. You know, you'll look at a mountain bike, is almost always very equal lap times is a good sign of, of you know, a success. But it's who can hold mm-hmm. it that sustainable power through five or six or seven laps or through 90 minutes. Exactly exactly so before we get into the meat of the program and what maximal sustainable power is and and sort of how we go through this i definitely want to get into that i'm wondering you know one of the common things i just want to get the the myth you know before we i want people to be really bought into the idea of strength globally before we go into the meat of you know what this program is when someone you know comes in and you know or, or you meet them and you're like you should come into the gym and do some workouts or try this you know program in the book you know, and I'm a little skinny cyclist, and I say, I don't want to gain weight, I can't gain weight, you know, every time I look at a weight, I gain, you know, I gain mass, and I'm going to get slower on the hills. What do you, what do you say to to a skinny little cyclist, like myself, maybe? Uh,
2: well, I tell them that strength is uh, attained in a number of different ways. There's the old, uh, uh, you know, you hear the story about Some little old lady picking up the back end of a Volkswagen to pull some little child out from underneath it in a car accident. It's an example of under huge amounts of stress, a neuromuscular firing, the brain says you need to move this car. So it's going to fire every muscle fiber available uh, for that one moment in time to do that. So was she a big, huge, strong, hulking man that did it? No that's why it's so amazing. So the muscle was available, but it just wasn't being utilized unless it was under this, you know, huge stressful situation. In training, we create that same environment where we're trying to gain strength through a neuromuscular firing and what they call neural drive of muscle fiber as opposed to hypertrophy. And that's the difference between uh, weight class lifting when you can see a 135 pound woman, you know, uh, power clean 225 pounds. It's amazing. And you're going, she's just a tiny little thing. How does she do it? It's because she's firing a huge amount of muscle fiber, a uh, much greater than the average individual at 135 pounds. So in the book, the way you attain that is by it's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, most cyclists go, well, I want to do something that's specific to the sport. So I'm going to do leg presses for hundreds of reps because that kind of duplicates cycling. Yeah, you do that and you're going to be just like a bodybuilder. That's what bodybuilders do. That's why bodybuilders are in a gym for hours and hours on end because they have to do huge amounts of volume. A power to weight athlete does much lower rep count isn't in the gym for much time at all because they're just trying to get the max overload and then leave. And the only way you can get the max overload is to rest and then a few reps. You're not doing all that volume. So, uh, I know that cyclists are afraid of putting on weight. Uh, when I was training Dave Zabriskie, he went from about 150 pound deadlift to about a uh, 265 pound deadlift and lost 13 pounds. So, uh, you can add strength without adding weight. It's a big myth that, you know, all you have, the only way you can add strength is by adding weight. That's
1: great, and I think you last time you used a, a nice analogy, which I had never really connected. But a lot of cyclists believe either in you know a low cadence, like grinding up a hill, either at really max effort, hard effort, or even sometimes you'll see it even at, at low low force, which I'm not sure is super supported. But that's sort of an old school way of doing it too, is the all day at mm-hmm. like 50 RPM or something. Um, but right. but but then for some reason doing you know a very similar motion like lunges, you know, is just completely. Catastrophic, and we couldn't possibly do that. We'll gain weight. Um, can you just talk a bit about that? I know last time you had a really, you know, sort of good concept around that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that you, uh, uh, when you're talking about strength and you're talking about how to attain it, in the book we, uh, you know, we the reason why we call it maximum overload is because you want to be, you don't want to be at sub maximum we want to first of all build a base of strength we're not trying to turn a cyclist into a weightlifter uh you know you can go and buy a lot of uh really really high skilled strength coaches weightlifting books that are more for powerlifters football players etc but a cyclist is not that person we want to top off the strength side of the equation get to the point where your force production's high and then we go to the power side of the equation. And uh, that's the difference between big chain ring work and, uh, you know, optimum uh, cadence up a hill. Because big chain ring work, you're put- producing a lot of force and you're going to fatigue. And uh, in uh, when you're spinning the optimum gear, your power is going to be highest. You're going to be able to sustain it for the longest. So we do that with the lunges. We start by looking at, what's the most amount in a 12 step lunge uh, of weight that you can do with speed because optimum power is usually produced at about 30% of what your optimum weight in that movement is. So I'll give you an example. If you were squatting and you could do 200 pounds, then you would be doing jump squats at optimum power output at somewhere around 60 to 80 pounds in that range. And so uh, the same thing with the lunges. So if you can do a walking lunge for 12 steps and you're doing it with, you know, uh, uh, the most you could do in in like a very, uh, really grunting and grinding it out. uh, And that's the strength side of the coin when you're doing it. Maybe you're doing it with, you know, 50 pound uh, dumbbells on either side. So you're at a hundred pounds and you say, okay, that's all I can do. Okay, great. Now we're going to drop it down and we're going to do it explosively. And then what I think I said last time was when you're really grunting and groaning and it's a slow movement, you know, you're in the strength zone and it's not, it's too heavy for power. And when you're in that huh, 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 really explosive and you can keep the speed up and you feel like you're on what the uh, cycling equivalent would be, you're on top of the pedal you're really able to turn the pedal over and you don't feel like you're you know, fighting to get on top of the pedal, uh, uh, then you're at the right weight. So the key is, is to have the right amount of speed with the right amount of weight. So you're producing the highest amount of power. And usually that's going to be at about 30 to 35% of what your max uh, strength zone would be. That's great.
1: So now this is, we're in sort of our, our assessment or step one, I believe, in the book. Here is what you're talking about. Right. We're sort of testing it. Now Now that I've been through it, so maybe we can use, you know, so am, am I looking at to get my numbers, you want me to do like a minute or like what are the sort of rep ranges? And I, I'm th- thinking more about the okay. lun- the walking lunge here. So I'm going to actually do walking lunges and yeah. try and get the max weight I can move or, or what is my criteria? Yeah. No, no, not at
2: all. Not at all. So let's talk about that. Uh, we talk about, you know, uh, doing the, uh, the self-assessment for power. So what you're going to do is, uh, I always like people to say, you know, to lower the risk of injury, just get the movement pattern with your body weight. You know, you're going to be very explosive. You're going to come off the bottom with a lot of speed. You're going to feel where you could almost bound out of it if you really wanted to, once you get the movement pattern down and then you're going to slowly add weight. And uh, what we're trying to establish is that term I used in the book called APO, absolute power output. So this is the absolute amount of power that we could produce. And if you were want to go back to the using the bike as the uh, comparison, if you had a hundred meter sprint, what's the highest wattage you would see in that hundred meters? Is it a thousand watts? Uh, what is, it? that's your absolute power output. And then what we want to do is, so let's just say on the walking, going back to the lunges, that with speed in 12 steps, only 12 steps, because that's six on each leg. And that's usually about the range of where you're going to see the power stay at maximum. And once you get over six steps on each side, it starts to diminish rapidly. And let's say you start with 10 pounds and you go, oh, wow, that's really light. Well, I'm just bounding through it. Okay, let's go to 15 pounds. Okay, we do 12 steps. Ah, I think I can go a little bit heavier. So we finally get to about 20 pounds and you're saying, okay, I'm still explosive. Uh, I'm still able to keep the speed up, but that's about all I can do. If I go to 25, I kind of get stuck down in that low point and I'm slowly coming out of the hole over the top of the lunge and I'm slowing down dramatically. And you'll be surprised. It'll only take five or 10 pounds to do that. It really happens quickly. So once you add that little bit of more weight, you can see it just going, oh, no, no, I slowed way up. So that's your absolute power output. That's your baseline. So that's the first self-assessment. So now you've established that we're going to start doing the mini sets with 20 pounds. And then you're saying, okay, now I'm going to do my first MSP set, we call it, maximum sustainable power set. And you're going to do it with the 20-pound weight. That's your baseline. And you're going to do a 12-step run. And then you're going to rest for 10 or 15 seconds. And then you're going to turn around and you're gonna come back for 12 steps, keeping the speed up. Now, in the book, I say, start with a minute. However, if you feel like, wow, I'm pr- I'm, I, at a minute, I was still fresh, then continue to extend the time. And we're t- what we try to do is, as long as the speed is up, you have to do one of two things. If the speed diminishes, either you have to reduce the number of steps or increase the amount of rest. Because what you do not wanna do is do sub optimum outputs. It destroys the purpose of it. If you were to go where you get so tired that you can barely move, the power drops off dramatically. And now you're spending a lot of time where you're, you know, beating yourself up, but you're not hitting an overload by hitting maximum. The only way your body makes an improvement is if you stay. And I, I my rule of thumb is 10 to 15%. If I start seeing, because sometimes you'll drop off on a couple of the reps, but you're you're able to bring it back together. So if you drop off a little, just you don't want to drop off more than about 10% uh, where you see, okay, I'm really slowing. And then you stop and then you fully recover. And then you can say, okay, I, can I try another minute? You do another minute. I have a, a cat two racer who's improved dramatically. We use the VersaPulley. I, I have a picture of it in the book. And we can actually see the numbers of power being produced. So it's a lot easier for me to monitor. And then I have a client that I'm coaching from a distance in Philadelphia. He's up to seven and a half minutes of walking lunges. He's a track racer. Seven and a half minutes of walking lunges, 12 step lunges each way, rest for 10, 15 seconds, 12 back. He's doing seven and a half minutes of it. And, uh, and, uh, with about, 25 pound dumbbells in each hand. So he's got 50 pounds of weight plus his body weight. He weighs about 135 pounds. He's strong as hell and he's on the track and he says it's unbelievable. So he's up to seven and a half minutes, but he's still keeping. And every time I talk to him on the phone, I say, Hey, listen, are you keeping the speed up? Yep. I said, if you don't keep the speed up, we got to We got to bring the weight down. Nope. So the key is, is to make sure that you're getting maximum. That's the key to the program. If you're not, then stop. If you get into that mode where you're doing it constantly and you're going, oh, I'm slowing down, I'm slowing down, but I'm going to muscle through it. No, that's not what you want to do. You want to stop, rest, fully recover, and then hit it again at maximum. Because the key is Give yourself more rest until you can keep the speed up at maximum because that's where you're getting the, the, uh, that's where all the icing is. If you don't do that, you don't get the value of the workout.
1: So Jacques, just to confirm. So you're going to do the APO, which is 12 steps. We're going to see, okay, if I do you know, five pounds more or two pounds more or whatever it is, it's, it's too slow. Sure. I'm starting to like struggle to the bottom. Now I take, so that weight is 20 pounds, say that I'm moving pretty quick, but that's the limit. Then I use that same weight for twelve steps, but three sets of a minute to start. Is that sort of exactly? So yeah,
2: yeah. and so if you can, if you say, and at the end of three rounds, so now you got thirty, you got thirty-six total steps, sixteen on each leg, I mean uh, uh, eighteen on each leg, uh, and you okay, uh, I think I can go another one. So what you do is you just keep extending the duration of time at maximum. Uh, you're not adding any weight, so you're not saying, I go to 25 pounds and try it. No, you stay at the 20 pounds, but you keep extending the duration of time.
1: Right, yeah, and I think I did went from one minute to two minutes or 2.30,
2: I think I might even go awesome. to. That's great. Um, yeah. yeah. And so and you, I. Your heart rate's going to go through the roof. If you wear a heart rate monitor, you're going to go, oh my gosh, this is this, you know, my heart, your heart rate is going to be checked. And that's why this works so well for cyclists because, you know, they have good cardio capacity. So they can uh, handle the duration of these sets over time. Uh, so it's a great uh, interval.
1: Yeah, no, it, it seemed quite good. And, and the method I used, and you can tell me if this was good or not, I found that I was around sort of 10, 11 seconds to do the, the mm-hmm. 12 steps. So I set a timer for right. 10, 10 seconds, and then that also was my reco- right. my recovery then. So it just kept beeping every 10. And then what I found is right. if I slowed, you know, and then I was like 12 seconds or, sure. or whatever, then that was a good
2: sign I was starting to fade. Does, does that make sense? That's 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 excellent way of looking at it because now you're using what I call the poor man's power meter, time and distance. So if you're not covering the distance in the same amount of time, you're producing less power. That's what you did. So you just hit it right on the head. You now, by using that 10 second timer, you're measuring the power by how many steps you're getting in the 10 seconds. As long as the steps are clean and they're the same distance basically. And you can tell, are you, are you really fading? Oh, wow. I got eight steps. Uh, You know, the power dropped off dramatically. Then that's a really great way of doing it, and uh, I like it.
1: Perfect. Perfect.
0: Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards.
1: They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're you're undertaking.
0: Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death.
1: Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz.
0: Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles.
1: Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds.
0: That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy.
1: So, go over to healthiq.com capod and, all
0: lowercase
1: and take that quiz um they have a bunch of different quizzes on the website and website's pretty well designed so it's worth putting over there checking it out and again um, and the book lays like, this all out really well there's IQ sort of three phases i believe and, and it sort of lays out how you progress C-A-P-O-D. that week to week or how you might progress it week to week uh in terms of changing the weight mm-hmm. or changing the, the number of sure. reps or changing the set duration and then the saturation was sort of the big thing right and you talked about how it, you know, some peop, athletes might be better going into seven minutes like you're one athlete and others, you know, maybe keep sure. it at two minutes even is enough. Um, it, yeah, it, it depends
2: a lot of it on your, your fitness and strength, a lot of other issues. What you want to make sure that you do is your, your the dumbbell weight will naturally start to increase as you get stronger. So what you may find, Peter, in your lunges you may, uh, what weight were you using in the lunges?
1: I, I tried to go, you know, well, it, it, it was surprising as you say, like everyone thinks like, oh, 100 pounds on your back or something, but I was, I honestly, I started pretty conservative with just 10 pound dumbbells. Uh, I'm not the fastest, that's mo- perfect. I'm a pretty endurance athlete, so I, I don't move that fast. So I right. started start 10 and then fairly quickly, I would say by like sort of week three or four, I was like, okay, I can do 20 and like the soreness isn't too bad. And then I just sort of kept it at 20 yeah. and focused on getting, like I say, into that yeah, two Yeah, well that's good. So minutes.
2: what will happen naturally is as you get stronger, especially this off season, you'll jump to 25 pounds, uh, at some point. You're going to go, Oh, that's why in the book, I say, you know, as we get, you know, down the road on one day, you're testing your APO, uh, and saying, wow, okay, I got to 25. And then, then when you do the MSP set later in the week, uh, then you're doing a uh, long duration set with the new weight.
1: So I was just wondering if you could explain, you know, it's not just these walking lunges, that's the end of a workout. So can you just give me a a, a brief, you know, give the listener a brief rundown of what a workout might look like? You know, you start with the mobility and the active flexibility
2: and then some core, you know, what does, what does this sort of workout look like? Yeah, everything in the workout is uh, number one, in the early stages of the program, we're trying to build force production and strength. So it is uh, driven more by strength and less by power. Uh, and so the lunges are the lo- leader, the least part of the workout and the bigger part of the workout are the deadlifts or whatever you have available in terms of single leg presses, those types of exercises, plus all the mobility at the start. And what I'm doing is I'm prepping you for the power. Uh, and, uh, also by doing the strength on the front end, your legs are firing really well, uh, because the walking lunges are, are somewhat ballistic. So I really want to lower the risk for injury and you would see something funky if you didn't feel 100% either in your dynamic warm-up or in the and uh, and that movement prep and then uh, in the uh, heavy lifts that you do prior to the lunges. You would say, oh gosh, I, I don't feel so good today. There's something wrong. And then so always pay attention to your body. So it breaks it up into those, uh, areas. And the, the workouts are set up so that they cover really three parts of the body, pulling on the upper body, very little pushing more for just balancing because you don't push that much on a bike with your upper body, but you do pull Uh lower back because lower back is such a, uh, is so impactful. And that's why I like the hex bar deadlift, uh, and deadlifts because it does engage lower back hamstrings and glutes, that whole posterior chain. And then uh, and getting heavy with those, uh, and then core exercises to balance it out. So, and the core exercises are really stability exercises to help support the big lifts to follow. So everything, it builds on it, on the, on the prior one, the the dynamic warmup, uh, gets you prepped for the heavier weights, the core exercises help you with the heavier weights, and then the heavy weight lifting prior to the, uh, walking lunges preps you, So that you'll have better performance in the walking lunges. So all of it supports itself.
1: Great. Yeah. And the book lays this out really nicely. There's, you know, really, really good illustrations and sort of some options, as you say, if you're just at home and you have no equipment or if you have a full gym with all the fanciest, you know, up to date equipment, you can do, you know, a little crazier stuff. Um, but it's very good. It's portable. Um, and like I say, it lays it out really nicely. Um, so again, if anyone is looking for sort of a a winter program or don't know what to do or where to start, this is something that's pretty accessible if you're experienced or, or new to strength training and just want to sort of suss it out and see what it's all about. Um, Mm -hmm. the the one other concept that I think a lot of cyclists are nervous about, you know, they've maybe tried strength and then they were like, I was way too sore. You know, I sore for a week, I couldn't do my bike training, you know, even in the off-season, I've, I've heard this sort of complaint. Do you have any tips for, for minimizing that soreness or the effect
2: on the bike training? Uh, I mean, you know, the it, you're going to be sore because the eccentric load, uh, cycling is concentric. You're not, there's no negative side to the lift. Eccentric load builds strength on the concentric side as well which is the pushing side but the landing side makes you sore so yes you will be sore you'll be sore in your core you'll be sore in your lower back Uh, i think you have to look at it like uh i'm not a time trialist but i time trial from time to time in races especially if you're doing stage races so i got to get on the time trial bike at some point in time even though i hate it (laughs) you know i just don't like the position it's not fun you know it's not like riding a bike and ripping down a uh, a descent yeah, tell me, I just uh, but finished, i do it
1: just finished ironman so i i feel that pain as a mountain biker
2: exactly and 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 it's so much more fun on a mountain bike and jumping stuff and doing everything else rather than be down in a time trial position so for me you know i've never been one that just loves getting on a time trial bike but i know if i'm prepping for a time trial i got to do it the same thing with the weightlifting you have to say this isn't a cost this is an investment and I'm investing into my ability to be able to ride my bike better down the road. But yeah, you can do some foam rolling, you you know, I would I would in the book we talk about always following any of these workouts the day before and the day after with something where you're not going to go really hard, light tempo rides, you know, moderate climbing, nothing where you're pushing intervals or anything else because you'll be despondent. You'll go, oh, "Crap, my legs feel so bad." But if you flush the legs out with something that's moderately hard and you're not anticipating having to produce a lot of power where your legs, it's more cardio driven and you're just spinning more then it'll be more tolerable. Uh, so, but yeah, you will be sore for the first three weeks. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it will pass and, uh, you'll immediately, uh, see a bump because of the improvement in force production after about the first three weeks. If you stick with it, Like it is in the book, you will see an improvement on any ride you do after about three weeks because you're going to get a neuromuscular response to the uh, weightlifting. So that part of the equation of power that we talked about, force times distance divided by time, the force production is going to bump. You're going to feel solid on the bike, the core work, the lower back work. Uh, You know, I have a lot of clients that say to me, Jacques, I don't even notice, you know, how you get that lower back fatigue fatigue. If you're doing a big multiple day race, a lot of climbing, lower back can be the limiter. You can go, oh man, I can't even push anymore. My lower back is so fatigued. You're getting out of the saddle. Uh, A lot of the exercises in here will remedy that and strengthen the lower back and improve your climbing because there is a lot of lower back. And the reason why is if you weren't using your lower back, you would pop off the saddle every time you push your legs. So, uh, what happens is your lower back's engaged and your core's engaged to hold your body down, uh, when you're pushing and climbing and putting a lot of force to the pedals. Otherwise you would rise up, uh, and you imperceptibly, your, your, your hips do lighten up on the seat. You just don't notice it.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Do you do you use any sort of timing? Like, if I if I was so gifted as to have the time to do strength and a bike in a, in a single day, would there be an order of operations or a time between that you would recommend? Between the workouts uh,
2: or between riding.
1: Uh, between, so if I was gonna say ride in the morning and then, you know, in the evening before dinner or something, do my strength workout, like, would that
2: be okay? No, do the strength workout first and then ride afterwards. I have uh, one, this guy was just talking about the category two racer that's been in here a lot lately. Uh, he rides to here and then rides home. So that helps a lot with the soreness for him, uh, where he's able to spin his legs out immediately after. So if you can ride after the workout, I think that's Preferable. Okay,
1: now what if, uh, have you seen any, you know, as far as doing like a high intensity bike workout in the morning and then leaving the time between and then doing the strength workout on the same day? like?
2: Yeah, you can you... do that. You can. You can squeeze it in. The only risk is that if you're going to be doing a big long duration lunge set, it may diminish your power some.
1: Yeah, I, that think that, would be, I think that makes so sense. So you
2: you may, you would see some diminishment of power. If you're in the early stages of it where you're just doing high force production, like a heavy deadlift or, you know, something like that, a uh, leg press or whatever it may be, you're going to be okay because uh, they're different energy systems. So they don't overlap that much
1: Yeah, in and terms I guess of it's... you won't
2: notice the fatigue when you're lifting heavy as much as you would the other way around.
1: I guess it's also just sort of, you know, in the off season, you maybe want to prioritize that strength and that new, you know, workout. And then, you know, maybe if you're getting close to bike season, you're more maintaining, you may prioritize that high intensity workout in the morning. And then, you know, the strength might not be perfect, but you might also be adapted enough to it at that point that it's okay.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned low back. That's another sort of popular one where people are always struggling with that. Is there, you know, an exercise or two that you would recommend, you know, if if someone is having trouble with back pain, you know, on the bike specifically? You know, are you a back extension person? You know, certainly you mentioned deadlift. What's sort of your favorite one or two? Yeah. uh,
2: I mean, I I have a thing called a reverse hyperextension where uh, it was developed by a weight big, you know, there's a gym called Westside Barbell, narrow cyclist would ever step into I don't think but it's all the big strongest men where they train it's in Cleveland Ohio guy named Louis Simmons he's a legend in big deadlifts and powerlifting and everything else like that anyway he developed this piece of equipment called a reverse hyper where you kind of lay on a pad face down your legs are hanging off the edge of the uh, like a really high table you would be laying across and then you bring your heels up and squeeze through your lower back I have uh, an exercise in the book called the dolphin kick that's very similar to that. You lay chest down on a physio ball and then you uh, elevate your legs uh, behind you. Uh, The difference is you can't add any weight, but you can hold the isometric contraction longer in lieu of weight. Or if you had a partner, someone could put light pressure on your legs as you pull it up, or you could put a band on there. There's a lot of ways you could kind of rig it up if you don't have that ability supermans are great bird dogs are great you know where you're on all fours in a quadruped position and you're lifting one leg on one side and arm on the other it's just that i don't think they give enough resistance to get lots of improvement but they'll give you some relief so and a lot of people go through them way too fast because you need to hold those positions for longer so uh i use a lot of those exercises uh, those exercises for lower back.
1: Perfect. Yeah,
2: the the reverse
1: hyper is a great one for sure. Now, uh, I have a question for you just about how you teach that when you have your exercise ball. Do you have people pin their heels together or toes together? Do you have like a, a cue you would yeah. use there?
2: Yeah, what I try to do is I try to first get, uh, if you were standing and pulling your toes up, so you're trying to get, you know, that, uh, uh, that toe uh, flexion. So that keeps your legs straight when you do that. A lot of people will bend their legs uh, so because you want to keep the legs straight and then I keep the heels together. And that kind of helps people fire adductors and fire the glutes better because it's not just a, uh, a lower back, you know, uh, erector spinae exercise. It's really glutes combining with that. And that's why you feel that on the bike because you're driving through your glutes when you're climbing. And it goes all the way up into high end of the glute and into the lower back and recruits the lower back when you're in that pressing motion. So, uh, yeah, those are the cues that I use.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I just I was sort of you know wondering how you went about that because it did seem like it was a big part. Um, and it, it's a little yeah. more you know when you have the reverse hyper, you sort of are pushing on a bar, so it's less. So you're not quite as free in space, right? Um,
2: exactly. Yeah, and you have to be more care. You have to be careful if you are using the actual reverse hyper and the speed of the bar, so you don't put any undue flexion on your back on the uh, return when your your legs are dropping from the up position to the down position. That's the other thing you want. Now, on the physio ball, the floor stops you, so you're not having that much flexion in your back. No, but I do... And one of the things you can do is you can elevate the physio ball. So if you can get like a, a couple of steps to put it on that are wide enough so it doesn't roll off and you elevate the physio ball, you'll get more range of motion uh, uh, with your legs. Yeah, I, I had a, like a,
1: a bench, I guess, like a bench press sort of bench. Yeah, um, and Yeah. if you get it up so.
2: that high and then it doesn't roll off and you can pin it against the wall or something, it works.
1: Yeah, it's a little it's precarious hard. and you feel a little crazy, but uh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the
2: bigger physio ball also works well because it's taller.
1: I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess you could always just use yeah. those. The big ones that are, are always ridiculous. Yeah. You never know what to do with them because they're so big.
2: Yeah, that's a good one to do it with, though. Yeah.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. We, this is our second go around, but I think this is really good. We've got some really good content here. I'm wondering, um, is there anything that we've missed or that you want to
2: leave people with? Uh, certainly. Well, yeah, but... this one thing I want to leave, I, I think that, uh, and I put a video on uh, on our Facebook page, and I said, you know, Uh, I think that the one thing that we could have done better in the book is what's really in the book, because you kind of kind of dig around like you're doing and and you figure it out, you know, if you have uh, some uh, if you really read it. Uh, So uh, I think that the things that I want to really emphasize are the difference between strength and power. Number one, people think they're synonymous. Strength is your ability to generate force. Power is adding velocity to it. So I really, the first thing that we're doing in the book is trying to get you to improve your force production in your lower body. And we do that with all of the things that we talked about earlier, mobility, stability, all of those, self-assessment, all of that kind of stuff, aids in your ability. Once I get your force production up to a level, I'm not trying to turn you into a weightlifter. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to get your force production up high enough that then you can then support the power. And that means force with speed because it becomes more dangerous once you add speed. I tell people in the book, I said, it's like taking a Ferrari and driving it with bald tires. You're going to be kind of nervous because you get the speed up and then problems would arise if you don't have good tires. And I said, so So understand that. So everything in the book in the first half is to support the uh, APO assessment and then the maximum sustained power Because uh, once you understand that, uh, we're trying to get that absolute power as high as we possibly can. And then what we do is we just start extending the time in those mini sets of maximum sustained power. That's the book in a nutshell.
1: Perfect. I think that's a great summary and a great place to finish. Um, So the book is available. That's Maximum Overload for Cyclists. Uh, and it's on Amazon, um, and we'll put all those links in the show notes and also links to Jacques and to his co-author, Roy, um, in the show notes as well, so you can follow them on all the social medias. Uh, Jacques, thanks again for joining us a second time.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast.
1: We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing.
0: We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Hereford, and Peter is at Peter Glassford.
1: If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com.
0: Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.